Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Pain don't hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandy Luketic. And today we're talking about 2011, 2012, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that's kind of a, we don't know. <laughs> I do know. Oh, do you? I do. It's unofficially a 2011 film because it was supposed to be released that year. And uh, they fell behind uh, due to uh, financial issues with the, the production company. Um, so it actually did premiere at Buttonumathon at the end of 2011 and then started making the other festival rounds in 2012. Okay, that makes sense why I couldn't figure out the exact date when I looked it up initially. Yeah. All right, well, I mean, whatever date it is, it's the same movie, I guess. Accurate. Now, I'm going to ask you, because I picked this one. Yes, you did. Yeah, Ben. And it makes me nervous. Why does that make you nervous? This is going to be a fight. Yeah, yeah. I hope you got your <laughs> gloves on, man. Is it, I mean, best way to dive into it then. What did you think of this movie? I really like this movie. I really don't think that was a surprise for anybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved it since the, the first time I saw it. And I find with every re rewatch, it's still as enjoyable. Okay. What did you think of this movie? I don't like it. Don't like or hate? Because I can work with don't like. I don't like it. Okay, that's much better, man. L look, much, I, much I, 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 I kind of prepped you on this. I don't know how to explain my feelings on this movie. Because okay. this has to be one of the movies that I have watched three times now, by the way. Where I have wanted to like it so much, and it's such an easy watch, but I just don't. I think I know why you don't like it. Okay. Because you're a stickler for reasoning, and there are a lot of plot holes in this movie that don't make sense, but okay. you have to be able to look past those to just enjoy what's happening on screen. Dude, I love that you said that. Because that's exactly how I feel. I don't know if I can word this properly, but if you watch a movie, right? You nitpick a few things. We've done it on every episode, right? Yeah, of course. So my question is, how many little individual like nitpicks can you have before the sum, like the movie becomes less than the sum of its parts? Well, normally it would be only... A few. After a few plot holes, I would probably get annoyed. Um, the difference with this film is that I find the plot holes are actually more conversation points. Yeah, they and are. you ask yourself, why, why is this not addressed? Why is this working the way it is? Um, you obviously just have to go along with it. But for any like major film fan, like the plot holes in this movie would turn into really fun, extensive conversations. Yeah, and I got a bunch of them. And I honestly think that that's it. I can like a movie despite a few nitpicks, but this movie is so flooded with them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, my criticisms really come down to the 
plot holes and nitpicks. I don't have a problem with the cast. The concept is fantastic. I just I go in with the, the, the plot first, just so. Uh, uh, that's going to be the biggest part of the conversation, though, because of all well, those plot points. Yes. However, we skipped something that I normally say. Oh, and that is, if you're listening to this episode, we assume you've already seen the movie. Because this film in particular, this conversation in particular, is all spoilers. I want to add something to that usual spoiler that we have. Normally, I don't say anything for the spoilers, uh, like, disclaimer. Because I know there's people out there that will listen to a, a podcast or an episode of a movie that they haven't seen yet. And it won't impact them watching the movie. Do not do that in this one. If you haven't seen the movie, pause right now, go watch the movie and come back. Because this one cannot be watched the same way. You can watch it after you know what happens. That's how I was able to watch it three times. But it can't be watched the same way. Like you can't take away that first viewing without it being like a pure original first viewing. And then come and, back to this. And to add on to that, I wouldn't even watch the trailer because some things are given away in the trailer for reasons I can't comprehend that do give away parts of the movie. Yeah. Okay. So disclaimer out of the way. Cool. All right. Um, you haven't seen Bad Times at the El Royale, have you? No. Come okay. On. Me come neither. On. It's on my list. Um, but the man who directed that, Drew Goddard, that was his second film. This is his directorial debut. And I think he did a great job with this movie. There is no problem with the direction whatsoever. Can you pick up? Pick, name one. One thing. Nope. Yeah, right? And he also co-wrote this movie with the producer, Joss Whedon. I'm not a big Whedon fan. I don't know about you. I mean, he's done some good stuff. He's done some bad stuff. I don't think he should get a blanket pass, but he definitely does have some good credits to his name. Yeah, he's got like uh, the Buffy series and movie, Firefly and Serenity, Angel, yada yada, Dollhouse, Avengers. Well, of course, Avengers. I can't not say that. Mm -hmm. um, but Goddard has worked with him on so many things too. Uh, Goddard co-wrote uh, or actually wrote some episodes of Buffy as well as Angel, Alias, Lost wrote Cloverfield, World War Z, uh, some of the Daredevil series. And uh, he's actually writing the Sinister Six screenplay right now. Ooh. Yeah, right? So uh, he, they both have a, a massive body of work. Um, some I really like, some I don't. But the fact that they worked together for so long, they co-wrote this movie, one's a producer, one's a director as well. I think it was a really good team. I, did, I think they did a really good job pulling everything together and putting together a really fun movie. Your nitpicks aside, we'll get to those. I think that that writing team is kind of where some of the problems start and end. Because I looked up a bunch of random information on this movie, the trivia on IMDb, a few articles, like the things you don't know about this movie. Because genuinely, this movie makes me want to dig deeper. Oh yeah, I, I have a huge problem with one thing Whedon said about what they were trying to do with this movie. Cool, we'll get to that. Let me just finish this point here. They wrote it in three days, apparently. Yep. That is great for a concept, which this movie has a fantastic one. Mm -hmm. But it lacks any sort of time to let it breathe and refine it 
and fix any of the plot holes. And over-tinkering can probably ruin it, but there is a nice balance in there where it probably should have taken a bit of time to do a little bit of tweaking. There is some reasoning behind that. All and right. that is a plot point that I actually got from listening to the commentary, um, which is really unfortunate that I had to listen to the commentary on the Blu-ray to actually catch this. But you're only given four minutes with the characters before they start to be drugged and act differently. So that's a very short amount of time where you're supposed to actually grasp who these people are, how they know each other, how they work with each other, and then they start falling into the tropes. And honestly, even that four minutes isn't enough. On my first viewing, without knowing like later on plot points of how they're you know being drugged and things like that, it's such a small amount of time you don't really get enough to know that, like, hey, their personalities are changing. Like, at all. Something something else we didn't have enough time for, apparently, was actually giving the uh, plot synopsis of the movie we're talking about. I mean, people have watched the movie, but go ahead. That's true. Anyway, five friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargained for, discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods. See, that's Very more spo for... Spoiler free. I like that. Yeah, but that's more for those people that will wa listen to an episode before watching that movie. It's also the first thing they'll find when they go to IMDb, too, so there you go. Yeah, nobody should be listening to this that hasn't watched the movie. I mean, if you want to, that's great, but you've been warned. Speaking of IMDb, though, let's talk about the ratings for this movie. They're pretty darn high. Very high. Uh, 7 out of 10 for IMDb. Uh, for Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is 92%. Uh, audience score is 74%, which you and I have mentioned before, just talking on the phone, that it's very strange for those ratings to be so high, considering how divisive this movie is. Yeah. It really and is. I actually found a review on IMDb that sums up a lot of the complaints that uh, that people do have about the movie. Um, but I do want to, as always, talk about the uh, the actors and their character very briefly before we go into into that, if that's all right with you. Yeah, man, go for it. I'm used to your uh, routine. All right. Well, actually, I forgot to mention budget, too. $30 million, roughly estimated. Uh, worldwide gross of 69.9. So, I mean, counting advertising, marketing, and everything, it made $10 million. That's not bad. So, they got their money back. But uh, Kristen Connolly plays Dana, who I didn't recognize from anything. I actually had to look her up and saw she was in Revolutionary Road, House of Cards, The Good Marriage, Zoo, among other things. Never heard of this Chris Hemsworth guy. Plays Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's crazy that this was recorded and because of its uh, budgetary issues, other movies that he recorded after, like Red Dawn and Thor, came out before this. Yeah, and he actually got the role of in Red Dawn because of this movie. Yeah, the speech on the motorcycle, right? Before he tries the yep. jump. Yeah, well, we know him from Star Trek. Uh, I actually knew him first probably from a Perfect Getaway, a remake of that movie. Uh, we know him as Thor in the Thor movies, the Avengers movies. We already mentioned Red Dawn, Black Hat. Never watched the Huntsman and, or like the Snow White movies. No real care, but go get him, Chris. Good job. <laughs> hey man if anything it shows that he can um he can do more than just the one note action hero yes of course he can um moving on to anna hutchison 
who I know from absolutely nothing and for good reason because she doesn't do anything worthwhile. <laughs> she was all right, though. <laughs> she was good. She was really good. And honestly, to say that, I don't really know a lot of her stuff. She's from New Zealand, has done a lot of uh, uh, Australian film and TV work as well. Uh, some people might know her from Power Rangers Jungle Fury, which I didn't know was a thing, but sure, Power Rangers way after my time. Uh, I didn't recognize her from Spartacus Blood and Sand, so I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Uh, also, Anger Management, and a movie you brought up to me the other day, which I have never heard of before, and it sounds absolutely atrocious. It had a one-word review on IMDb that just said abysmal. And that's called... <laughs> <laughs> Looking at my magic eight ball, I see it in our future. Uh, it's called, well, two different titles. I have Wrecker. Um, up next is... I know exactly what that movie is. All I needed was that one word. I get it now. I, I'm so confused. <laughs> Just mocking the name Wrecker. That doesn't oh, yeah. actually tell you anything about what the movie no, is. No, of course not. Nothing. <laughs> um, our boy's up next. Fran Kranz as Marty. I have to say this, dude. Complete sincerity. After Bloodsucking Bastards and now this. He really is one of my boys now. This guy is fantastic, and he's he probably too. my second favorite casting in this movie. Second favorite? Ooh, curious. Yeah. Let's uh, let's also mention that he was uh, he was in the Dollhouse TV show that uh, the writers uh, made as well. A great fun show, actually. Can I drop uh, some he... trivia on you that I read on uh, IMDb? Yeah, go for it. You know the scene where they go swimming at the lake? Oh, I know this, but please do tell. Yeah, so apparently he's the only one who doesn't take his top off. Yep. And, and the reasoning is that? is that he was in such good shape that they didn't want him to take his shirt off and look more like jacked and buff than the other two guys based on the role that he's supposed to be playing. So he had to keep his shirt on. Yeah, he's supposed to be the stoner. He's he's shaggy. And uh, in the commentary, the the writers um, got it in uh, and we referred to him as a shredded Jesus. <laughs> he uh, his character is probably my favorite his casting is probably my second favorite yeah no he, he i don't know I, i'm really going to be watching his career from now on like he's he also did you might be the killer which i have some problems with but i still enjoyed i still haven't seen him in the dark tower i haven't seen the dark tower but i think it's that one all right moving forward yes uh jesse williams who plays holden the weird, like, he, I think he was supposed to be the nerd character, but he's also a jock, so you got the nerd jock. Um, he, he is the brain character. He's supposed to be, but when they start getting drugged and changing their personalities, I don't think that he comes off the same way. I agree. Um, and I feel bad that I don't know him from anything. Um, by far his biggest role being uh, on Grey's Anatomy. But I... I think he might tie with Fran Kranz as my favorite actor in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he did a really good job as Holden. Um, I think he emoted more than anybody else. If you go back and just watch his scenes, like there's emotion all over that face in every scene he's in. Here's the thing, man. You can go down the full list right to the end. I don't You're think right. There's... I'm looking at this list, and it's just gold. I don't think there's a single bad performance in this, which is crazy to say in a movie that I don't like. 
Yeah. I'm not even going to bother with the rest. I'll just mention the names. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I will mention the next ones. Okay. Because these well, were my... Four. See if you can get those four. Well, I don't, I don't care about the rest of them. I just want to say that Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford were my top casting in this movie. They're I, great. They're I put them together as one because yeah. they kind of were a singular entity in the movie. And I I liked the character of Marty better, but I liked Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins in their roles as the best casting choice. And, and to be honest, their characters were probably second to me, so it's, it's kind of right up there. Um, after that, you can rhyme them off. But these two, to me, brought probably the most entertainment to the movie after Marty. They're the backbone of the film, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I love that the movie starts with them. And you don't actually, like, intentionally, they didn't want you to know what movie you were walking into. Yeah, they wanted to confuse you right off the bat. And they did. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Um, not exactly what I think of when I think Cabin in the Woods, but let's roll with it. And it, they keep referring back to it. Like, as you see them throughout the movie, it's just funny every time you see them. And see, that's one of my biggest problems with the movie is that it keeps going back to them. Mm-hmm. The movie is so unfocused in that regard, in my opinion. But at the same time, every time they go back to them, their chemistry together, especially Bradley Whitford's like charisma in his character, kind of like a little bit more of the jokester one, yep. is so entertaining. But it, it really does feel like it doesn't belong in what I'm expecting to watch in The Cabin in the Woods. All right, now you can name off the rest of the characters if you want. Oh, I only had two other actors. Brian White, who played Truman. I thought he was great as a, a minor character. He, he really did shine when he was on screen. Okay. And, of course, uh, Sigourney Weaver as the director. And she's been in everything. People know her from absolutely everything. Dude, you're pulling out a cameo? Oh, man. Yeah. What about Mordecai? Continue. I mean, that was about as much screen time, but I found him a lot more entertaining. He was pretty entertaining, you're right. Alright, well that's the cast, man. It's solid from start to finish. There is no yeah. there is no blemish on that cast, which honestly can carry a movie nine times out of ten. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's I, the material that falls short. And that's what I want to talk about here. Uh, I had mentioned this earlier in, uh, in the episode. But uh, from Wikipedia, I found a thing talking about um, Whedon describing um, what the point of the movie was. And it was his attempt. This is from Wikipedia. He uh, described the film as an attempt to revitalize the horror genre. He called it a loving hate letter to the genre. Continuing, and this is a, this is a Whedon quote. It's a little bit lengthy, but I, I think it needs to be read. It's a serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are kids acting like idiots, the de-evolution of the horror movie into torture porn, and into a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. But he does all those things. I know, right? Like, I mean, part of the premise of this movie is these kids being dumbed down to exactly what he is speaking against. Yep. And that's not, like, you can have a, a brief commentary on that in the movie. 
But if that's if that was your point for this film, you did the exact opposite. Yeah. This is this is probably my biggest issue with the movie, and it ties into the plot holes. Mm-hmm. This movie is way too smart and way too self-aware to be so stupid. Yeah. Right? Like Josh, you have, Josh Whedon weedened himself. I read online, take with a grain of salt how accurate it is, that he fought to keep the Kyoto... Kyoto? How do you pronounce that? Kyoto? Kyoto? The Kyoto scenes in the movie. Okay. Right? The I guess the company wanted it taken out or at least edited and he fought to take to not take it out. Right? And that alone opens up so many plot holes to me that it's like, why are you fighting to keep it in there? Uh, I actually really liked it. But it doesn't fit the plot. No. And again, that that is that is Wheaton. He he crams things in where they don't belong, but he tries to find a way to make them work. Okay, well, and I, I think it does. In my in my opinion, I, I I have no problem with it being there. I thought it was enjoyable. It didn't detract at all. Okay, so what do we see in these scenes? In which scenes? The Kyoto scenes. Mm-hmm. You mean with the uh, the schoolgirls and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's just showing that's happening all over the world. Yeah, but apparently it happens all over the world following a different set of rules. There's more than five kids in that classroom. Can you point out to me these nine-year-old girls that are the jock, the brain, the stoner, the virgin, and... Oh, what was the fifth one? The whore or whatever? Yeah. And uh, I mean, like... You're pulling this from an IMDb review that I'm going to quote soon. I'm not pulling this up from an IMDb review. This this train of thought is actually my own. Because okay, and this, it this bothered me. Actually, yeah, that's fine. Everything bothers you. Well, but like, okay, I'm going to jump ahead. This is the conversation point I was talking about. There's, there is this conversation with Truman where they talk about, like, how they can't, like, bend the rules. They can only, like, set up the pieces, essentially, and they have to transgress themselves, which in and of itself is a plot hole because they were led to this transgression. Right. Um, But they're like going over these rules and they're like, this is how it has to be. And then they're like, oh, but like the virgin is optional. She can or can't survive. Somehow it's okay if she's the one that kills the Joker, which doesn't seem to fall into that plot as well. And like you're you're following all these rules and you're like, so what? Killing a classroom of nine year old girls would somehow have accomplished the same thing. Okay, you're missing the bigger picture here. All right. Explain it to me. Okay. American horror, Western horror, was almost completely run with slasher films, overrun with slasher films. They're following in the States the slasher formula. You look at Japanese horror film, mainly ghosts, mainly dealing with children. It's a cultural thing, man. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of having to sacrifice anybody to, uh, to appease the uh, ancient ones so they don't take over the world and then destroy it. I mean, that's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So the fact that you're going to, you're going to look at that scene, the Kyoto scenes as not fitting in with the movie, you have to look at like why they would put it in there because it's completely cultural. It is, but we're led to believe that the gods are looking for the same set of rules. 
Are we? Aren't we? They don't talk about that at all. I don't think they need to. They're also saying the ancient ones, not the ancient one. So it could be a god in a different, like underneath a different part of the world. Um, maybe the god that they're trying to appease, because they have to appease just one, yes? No, they say the ancient ones. And I mean, the whole idea and the reason that they keep saying that there's going to be no sequel is because the body count is the population of the world, as in when the movie is over, everybody died. Means yeah. that what, like one region appeases their god, but another region doesn't, and then what, the world still dies? Like, it doesn't make sense. I think it does. Every Like, everybody has rigged up their sacrifice in what is most common in their, I don't know, in their horror culture for horror film. It's very self-referential, man. Like, it, you can't take this movie seriously and start picking it apart like that. I, my issue is that there's so many things I can pick apart, though. This is just one of them. Because, I yeah, mean, but you're... like I said, they're apparently trying to appease the same ancient ones, but they're doing it through different methods. And, I mean, if that's the case, how is the slaughtering, the entire slaughtering of the underground facility, not enough death to appease the gods? has to be done in a certain way. It's a ritual. Yeah, except for the fact that they say later on, even the director is telling uh, Dana, like, shoot, you know, shoot Marty and this will all be over. But it's like, I don't remember them saying anything in the rules about them killing each other. No, no, no. They have to be killed by these different creatures. Like, they just, I mean, don't establish a set of guidelines for how this has to be done within the movie world and then not follow them. I don't know, man. I think that happens in movies a lot. Look at the jump from Friday the Thirteenth to Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Well, this is why... only a couple. Of, it's only been a couple of days, and Jason went from being a child to being a giant like hillbilly. But this is like why I established at the beginning that it's the collection of nitpicks that, as a whole, have caused me to not like this movie, as opposed to just one or two. So you're. Okay, that, that's your problem. You didn't have fun watching it. I did have some fun. That's the problem. I can't <laughs> express to you how I feel about this movie. I could watch it a fourth time. But I don't like it. Alright. Well, here, let me let me read that bad review I was telling you about that I All found right. on IMDb. Yeah, I got uh, us that... a little derailed. Alright, well, it's... Um... It's written by Let's Go State. Um, I have not been this disappointed in a long time. Had I known I was coming to watch a movie that was making fun of horror movies, I would have wasted. I wouldn't have wasted my time or money. Original as it was, it lacked three major things I expected: one, horror, which was replaced with comedy; two, good acting. I was sorely disappointed the characters didn't seem into their roles. Three, some sort of intelligent story based on hype and previews. I felt bad for none of the characters that died. None of the characters really developed throughout the movie. The story was just terrible with too many unanswered questions and, a, and the filmmakers chastised the review groups prior to releasing the film for asking about a sequel. Some more about the reason that they need a virgin, jock, whore, fool, and scholar would have been nice to know. While they are sacrificing or why they are sacrificing to the gods could have been more clear. Why they were involving all other countries would have been nice, but mostly, explain this to me. 
And this is what you said, Matt. Which one of the Asian children in the classroom was the whore, the jock, the fool? I'm assuming that at that stage in lives, there are virgins and scholars. I never found myself startled during this movie, not one jump. I feel cheated that I went to a horror movie and realized it was a poorly done comedy. I don't get it. I must be wrong. Everybody else seems to disagree with me. See, there's there's parts of that review that I disagree with as well, especially when it comes to like criticizing the actors, because I thought the actors seemed like they were having a blast with their roles. And I, I seemed like it felt like they were into it. I would agree with that for sure. I but, thought they were having a blast. I think that came across very, very blatantly. But parts and, and even the, the part about like, you know, jump scares. There was definitely those two, them. right? Like yeah, you don't need it, though. You don't need it, but I mean, like he, he or she, I don't know, flat out says like there, there wasn't any. But like, think about like Holden's death scene. That was pretty rough. But it also was a jump scare. Like it came out of nowhere, right? Well, they foreshadowed it. Did they? Yeah, when they get inside the RV to go to the, uh, to the um, the tunnel. As I they somehow close the door. There's the bloody uh, handprint on the door. Oh man, three viewings and I somehow didn't catch that. <laughs> but then like, how did it take so long? They drove oh, that's just they drove to yeah. the tunnel, they did the whole jumping scene, and got back in and started driving before they somehow saw this slow moving, large lumbering zombie. Yeah. Creative liberty, man. Oh, there it's was definitely fun, it's a horror movie. You can't take it that seriously. <laughs> I can't express horror to you. Movies, horror movies taken seriously are called thrillers, and they're not as entertaining. I'm just saying. Like, they flat out say that there's these set of rules. I go back to how they said that they can only set up the pieces. But then, like, Chris Hemsworth character dies by jumping into an invisible wall. Which, again, doesn't seem like the transgression. It definitely seems like a manufactured death by the company, which I don't know if they ever named the company but the company under like down below i'm cool just calling it the company sure so like they flat out say like oh we can't directly interfere we can only influence we can you know we can you know we can chemically induce them we can do all this stuff but we have to guide them into it and then his death is by driving into an invisible wall right which i mean was cool to see the effects were done well for it. They foreshadowed it with the bird flying into it when they were going there. Yeah. But again, it shits on the plot set up for that. And while we're well, on... Well, he the... offed himself anyway. Fair. Fair. <laughs> he technically did. Right? Yeah. But he offed himself because he didn't know there was a tech wall there. I don't know, like invisible. I don't know what you would call it, but like... That shouldn't have been there. He should have made the jump. And that's the other thing, okay? That's on him, man. We go back to the Kyoto scene, okay? The kids all survive because they sing a song in a ritual. I don't know. I don't know how. Like, they don't explain it. But they you see them defeating the ghost, right? Yep. If there's a, such a clear out for Japan, which has this, as they say, perfect record, there doesn't seem to be an out for these American ones. Like, they are confined in a cage. They don't have, like, there's no out. Like, how would they have actually survived like the children would have? Kill the Bruckners? Or the Buckners, sorry? But then what? There's invisible walls. 
There's like they're not just dying to the Buckners. I would imagine that if they killed the Buckners, they would not have sent anybody else out after them because they had to choose which monsters were coming after them when they were in that basement. Yeah, man, they should have just not gone into the basement. But I mean, that's classic horror trope right there. Never go in the basement. Yeah, well, I mean, but I mean, hey, that's what Joss Whedon doesn't want in the movies is stupid kids, right? Like, yeah, I'll go into this creepy basement. No, that's, that's, like, that's, that's like Marty saying not to read the Latin. Well, I see. And this is the thing. Marty's character was the most representative of that statement that I made of how the movie is so self-aware, right? Like, yes, it is. His character was so great. Even though absolutely amazing, I have no idea how he isn't dead. <laughs> I know I, it, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like when he gets captured by that Buckner, like he gets a full. It looks like a bear trap on a chain. Uh, no, I think he gets stabbed in the back. Yeah, yeah, but like he gets like shears. he gets. Oh yeah, he gets he gets messed up real bad. I thought it was like a like almost like a bear trap on a chain that like grabs him by the back and pulls him or whatever, but. Either way, like that, <laughs> the suspension of disbelief on how we survive that is a little bit asking much in that situation. Agreed. But I was—that's the only character that I would have been happy with surviving. Oh yeah, he was like, fantastic. definitely to write it off. Just be like, yeah, he looked like he was horribly murdered, and I don't think anybody would be able to survive anything like that, let alone run around. But. It's Marty, so I'm okay with it. Let's let's get more Marty in this book. It's that jacked physique that he has underneath that shirt. <laughs> I guess maybe it actually bent the blade. <laughs> get out of here with that shit. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, his character was so good, and he made so many of those statements. Uh, don't read the Latin. His My favorite line for him, and I actually looked up the script online, and it wasn't in the script because the script that I found online was actually quite different from the one. It almost felt like a draft that was missing some maybe improv, impromptu stuff they did when they were actually recording. Didn't have the line. But when they're getting ready for like swimming or they say they're going to go swimming, he makes this like off screen, almost out of the side of his mouth comment of like, I didn't know there was going to be calisthenics involved or something like that. <laughs> that like made me crack up and that's the thing like there's so many parts of this movie that i liked but there's so well, many even, plot holes just so many even little little character things too like again to talk about marty do you do you remember when he showed up in the movie like his introduction <laughs> yeah driving in with a bong made out of like a giant coffee cup yeah which was real actually but yeah. uh Apparently, he, the prototype was like five grand. He gets out of the car, locks the door, and just leaves the window down and rolls and like walks away. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is the point? I don't know. <laughs> he's just a great character. He's high. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> uh, he's so much fun. Speaking of which, we're going to do my uh, top five Marty moments. Are these in any sort of chronological order? Uh, well, they are actually in chronological order, but. That's almost purely by accident. I just think his character gets better throughout the movie. Ah, like a fine wine. Better over time. Exactly. All right, so why don't we start it off? What you got? All right, so uh, number one would be uh, right after uh, they 
leave Dana's apartment and uh, everyone is in the RV and Marty starts talking about getting off the grid. I hope this is the right road. It doesn't even show up on the GPS. It is unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole <laughs> point. Get off the grid, right? No cell phone reception, no traffic cameras. Go someplace for one goddamn weekend when it can't globally position my ass. You can, this is the whole issue. Is society crumbling, Marty? No, society is binding, right? It's filling in the cracks with concrete. Everything's filed or recorded or blogged, right? Chips in our kids' heads so they won't get lost. Society needs to crumble. We're all just too chicken shit to let it. I've missed your rants. You will come to see things my way. That wasn't necessarily my favorite line. I thought it was a little bit too preachy and kind of hipster for the character, at least to my liking. Yeah, I thought it was a, uh, a perfect line or a perfect little uh, rant for a stoner that is um, kind of riding the woke wave. Yeah, he was definitely um, a stoner. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. What's the next? I think, I think woke wave might have been the wrong term, too. Let's just say he's a stoner just rambling. All right. What's the next stoner rambling line that you got? Uh, it's not really a rambling line. I, I, it's pure comedy to me. It's uh, as everybody is leaving uh, the gas station, and it's the, uh, the back and forth between Marty and Mordecai. Well, I've been here since the war. Which war? You know damn well which war. Would that have been with the blue and some in gray? Brother, perhaps, fighting against brother in that war? You sassing me, boy. You were rude to my friend. That whore. What'd you say? I think we got enough gas. You got enough to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. Good luck with your business, sir. I know the railroad's coming through here any day now. That's gonna be big. Streets paved with actual street. Fucker. Honestly, I don't think you could have done a list without including something from the Mordecai scene. That was probably the comedy gold in the movie. Oh, definitely. Um, also, uh, one thing I did find out while uh, listening to the commentary to the movie is that uh, that Confederate flag hanging in the gas station window was actually there when they got to the set because that was actually an old gas station. <laughs> and I, uh, you, not not something you expect to see in Vancouver. I, I love that you're observative, observative, observative enough to see a Confederate flag. I didn't see it. All right, that's fine. I, I might have been uh, stoned like Marty. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the next one. Um, my third one is definitely him at his most stoned. Uh, and that is uh, his turn at the, uh, or dishing at the truth or dare, the truth or dare scene. Okay, my turn. Jules. <laughs> truth or dare. Let's go dare. All right. <laughs> I dare you. Make out with you say Dana, please say Dana, please say Dana. <laughs> that moose over there. Um, Marty, have you ever seen a moose before? 
whatever that mysterious beast is. That's, That's clearly a wolf. I'm living in a womb of Reaper. Leave me alone. <laughs> Jules, I dare you to make out with that wolf. No problem. Mm -hmm. That that honestly is probably my absolute favorite line scene in the entire movie. Is just how like how stoned he is and how stone faced everyone else is in their reaction to him. Yeah, no, like, it's golden. Yeah, absolutely golden. I don't know how that's not the top one because if he gets better as it goes, the next two've got to be amazing. What's what's next? Um, next is uh, back and forth that Marty has with uh, Dana as he's really starting to notice that things aren't really making sense anymore. You seriously believe nothing weird is going on? Conspiracy? The way everybody's acting. Why is Jules suddenly a celebutard? And since when does Kurt pull this alpha male bullshit? I mean, he's a sociology major. He's on full academic scholarship, and now he's calling his friend an egghead? Kurt's just drunk. I've seen Kurt drunk. Jules, too. Well, then maybe it's something else. And I've seen what you don't want to see. Puppeteers. Puppeteers? Pop-tarts? Did you say you have pop-tarts? Marty, I love you. You're really high. We are not who we are. I'm gonna go read a book with pictures. Okay, I mean... That's definitely a, a, a good scene, but, I mean, I definitely prefer comedy over the more serious, although the Pop-Tart line does help. Yeah. Well, if you wanted more comedy, you should have done your own list. Oh, I'm so sorry that you surprised <laughs> me with a list, and I didn't know there was homework involved. How about no, I... you just don't be a jerk and finish it off with the last one, then? Uh, all right. Uh, the last one is... Probably what I find uh, contains his funniest line. Uh, now, keep in mind, these aren't the funniest Marty moments. These are just my top five Marty moments. Uh, some obviously have been more serious than others. This has a decent amount of comedy in probably one of the most serious parts of the film. And it is the uh, another back and forth between Dana and Marty uh, at the end of the film. Hey. Hello? I don't think Kurt even has a cousin. Huh. How are you? Going away. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I almost shot you. I probably wouldn't have. Hey, hey, no, shh. No. I totally get it. I'm sorry I let you get attacked by a werewolf and then into the world. 
you were right. Humanity. It's time to give someone else a chance. I wish I could have seen it. I know. That would have been a fun weekend. Really? That's that's your top one? Yeah, I, I know. I know that it's not yours. It wouldn't be yours. Probably wouldn't even make your list. But, you know, I love it. That's my top one. But there's such a... the. I see what you mean about the comedy in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so, like, how can you so crassly say i'm sorry i let you get attacked by a werewolf or whatever right but like that's not that's not like that's not like humor humor like i don't know it's too subtle for me obviously it's your opinion it's your list there's nothing wrong with that but for me i i i think i would have wanted something a little bit more on the nose because i'm i'm a simpleton that's totally on the nose though okay then what about Richard Jenkins yelling at the school kids through the monitor? Refresh as my they're memory. winning, as they're winning, like it's right after you see them turn the ghost into the or the spirit goes into the frog, mm -hmm. and they all like sang their little song and they're all happy looking at the frog. He's just screaming "fuck you" into the monitor, <laughs> <laughs> just over and over again. Those two were so good, and like the whole like <laughs> merman thing with Bradley, uh, or uh, I guess Hadley yep. was his name in the movie. And then, obviously, obviously, he gets eaten by the merman, right? Yeah. But, like, I don't know. Their scenes were so good. Although, they, again, they lead to so many of the plot holes in the movie. I just... Yeah. I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Did you, uh, did you go through all of the, uh, the monsters that were listed on the whiteboard? Uh, I read them on... Um, I read them on IMDb. Uh, somebody had a listing. I guess they yeah. paused the screen. And obviously, like, nice little references, little nods, but whatever. I guess maybe little you have nods. a point here. Well, one of them was Angry Molesting Tree. Yeah, apparently that's a reference to something. Yeah, I wonder what. I don't know. No idea. I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell with you, man. What do you mean you can't tell with me? I'm, I'm as, I'm like an open book, man. I'm open yeah, book. Of course. Yeah, of sarcasm. Yeah, but it was a nice nod to the Evil Dead movies. There, I said it. Yeah, and I think it also did say Deadites too, if yes, I'm not it mistaken, did. which is obviously a more on the nose reference. But mm -hmm. there was a couple of them. Um, did you see the? Uh, well, I'm sure you already looked up all of the uh, the trivia, but the uh, the video game tie-in would have been nice. Would have been nice. I mean, it would have been great. You know what, actually, I was thinking about, and this obviously is going to completely derail the conversation about the movie for a minute here, is, do you know the board game Betrayal on Haunted Hill? No. Okay, so there's this board game that you can buy. Obviously, Sounds awesome. Obviously. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one minute. So the game is actually called Betrayal at the House on the Hill. I got the name wrong a little bit. Okay. 
it's very horror themed and I definitely recommend it to anybody who's interested. But how the game works is you have a number of players and they start exploring a haunted house. As you're taking turns, you're finding omen items and you have to roll for a haunt roll. Okay. When this takes place, an event occurs that is in a book of 50 potential scenarios and the scenarios are tied with which item you found in which room card, right? So almost like clue, like think about it like we found the raven in the library, right? You go to like page 28 of the 50 pages books and it says, okay, the person who initiated it is now the betrayer and they have to raise zombies and kill all the other players. Or in another scenario, there is no betrayer and a Frankenstein monster is now attacking and you have to try and kill it with fire. And there's all these rules on how you either win or lose if you're the betrayer or the team when this happens. But the reason that I think that it would work so well in this board game scenario is because with all the different creatures, all the different types of items in the basement, it would work so well to create because it makes the game a little different every time you play it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been so awesome for this movie because you do have, right, like a premise already laid out for how you do it. And then you have all these different options for different creatures, which you can have different ways to defeat them, right? Maybe you're gonna, maybe you just need to flat out kill them. Maybe you need to burn their lair, things like that. A video game would work well too, but like when I was watching it, that that board game came to my mind, um, which again I would also recommend just that board game uh, to any board game and horror fans. I'll definitely pick that up for sure. That sounds amazing. So anyway, that's my derailment of that but you can go back to the whatever you were going to say about the video game so i love the left for dead games like i love both of them i can't wait to play the uh, spiritual successor that's coming out soon but uh, the fact that they had like the witch and boomer and other characters from the game in the uh the mosaic of cages that had that contained all of the monsters i thought that was really cool and the fact that they were going to use um uh settings scene settings level settings, I guess, from Cabin in the Woods in uh, DLC for Leopard Dead 2. I thought that would have been amazing. All right. Before we get back to the movie, I think this is a good spot to just play a bit of a message from one of our friends since we're talking about gaming right now. Knights and Nerds is not just an actual play D&D podcast with an original campaign being played by a group of friends who tolerate each other. It's also a podcast where I, the Dungeon Master, talk about how I'm adapting to the choices the players make, as well as revealing to you, the audience, the complex story and deadly twists that I have in store for my players. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or at knightsandnerds.com. Alright, so let's get back to the movie in and of itself then. Can we talk about the scene with Mordecai? Actually, I guess scenes, because there's also the phone call that he has with uh, uh, Handley and, and Sitterson. Phone call was the best. But yes, let's talk about that scene. Um, I love that scene, especially because it ties in with that conversation of the rules to the game. <laughs> because, right, Richard Jenkins' character says, like, why do we have him? He's this big sign that says you're going to die and they have to choose to ignore it, right? Yep. But why is he there? Because that's the way it is, right? Again, Mm -hmm. laying in these ground rules that I'm not going to go back into because obviously I made it clear I have a problem with them. 
But that character is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, played perfectly, too. I just, apparently, what was supposed to happen when they pulled up, he was supposed to be having an argument, I think, with the vending machine that wouldn't take his dollar or stole his dollar. And uh, I think that would have kind of made him a little bit too ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that character worked in that his humor came from his seriousness not gelling so well with the feel of the rest of the movie. Yeah. Right? Like it's... I, my first viewing, I completely overlooked who he was throughout the rest of the film. I just thought he was creepy, attentive guy. Even at, even when he's on the phone with them? Yeah, I, because I just missed the name when they were talking about it early on. Oh, okay. I don't know. He's fun. He does his role real well. He allows for some fun lines with Marty giving him, like, you know, you were mean to my friend. I hear the railroads come. Like, it just, <laughs> it was a fun scene. Um, actually, it makes me now think of something else I wanted to bring up. I think one of the reasons that I also had another problem with this movie is how much they let you look behind the curtain too early in the movie. You see that as a flaw? I kind of like that. I kind of like that aha moment when, like, those things start to come together, right? Like, don't put such a focus on it. Show the guy, like, observing them leaving, but don't give him a line, for example, right? Have yeah. Mordecai there, but don't have the phone call until later. Don't have the chemist talking about how the hair dye is slowly released into jewels to make her the, I don't know what they call their horror character, whatever, right? As like it's it's happening so much as it's coming that it just feels like okay, well, like you're showing me how the hot dog is made, right? Like I I want to be surprised by this, or even if you wait until like the third act. And it's a bit of more of a, a callback to, oh, wow, this is what's going on. Because to me, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily agreeing with the person that reviewed it. But part of the horror element is taken away by the fact that you see how manufactured it is. Yes, but by seeing how manufactured it is, like that's where some of the comedy actually comes from. I think the only way that what you want would work is if you made it almost a complete straight up horror film. No, you just lean more heavily in the first act on Marty being your comedy. Which is completely feasible with the conversations that they were having with him. True, but I feel like he's leaned on just enough. I feel like if you had him more in the first act, it would actually take away from him later throughout the movie. And by the time he comes back and and rescues uh, uh, Dana, that you'd be like, great, it's Marty again. Yeah, but does it have to be Marty that comes back? Yes. Okay. I'm just wondering, like, would it have worked if somebody else came back instead? How? Like who? I don't know. Chris Hemsworth, maybe? He's dead. Yeah, I mean, we don't see how far he falls in a he's horror movie if they don't die on camera. Far enough. He falls out of view. I don't think anyone's surviving that. What if he comes back completely soaking wet and that actually fell into the, like, water? You see how many times he hit that wall as he was falling? Eh, that could have been the bike. 
I mean, as it's recorded right now, it obviously couldn't have been, but there could have been slight tweaks made to some of the other death scenes, because especially, again, right, in horror movies, if they don't die on camera, they're not necessarily dead, right? They could have pre-planned that. Then, you could have balanced out having Marty more in the beginning and not as much at the end, because it doesn't matter as much who the character is at the end with the Virgin, at least I don't yes, think. Yes, it does. Does it? Totally does. All right. Yeah. In, Tell in a me horror how. Comedy, in a horror comedy, you don't kill off the com- the comedy before you get into the third act. Well, in 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 any movie, you don't kill off the protagonist before you get to the final act. But it's Hadley fine. and Sittler. We're not talking about that. What? We're not talking about that. We're talking about if somebody else came back. All right. Um, all right, all right. But like, Kurt, no comedy. Jules, no comedy. Holden, no comedy. Okay. See what I'm saying here? All right. I mean, all right, fine. Yeah. No, no, I could be wrong. I'm saying, like this. This is my stance. Like, no, I agree with you. I can't say you're wrong. Any of the funny lines that were there from, say, Holden, were more situational responses to, you know, maybe even just the weird conversations he was having with Dana, or I don't know, flirty. I don't know if you would call them weird, right? Yeah. But yeah. like. Standing on his own legs to create comedy was really just Marty and then again Hadley and uh, Sitterson. Yes. Which, like. Well, I really I really think you needed the Marty character, or at least have a second of the uh, of the main crew to have a little bit more humor in their dialogue if you wanted to have Marty killed off and have somebody else rescue Dana. Which, again, I mean, this is. A... This is a hypothetical situation where more than just one thing would have to be changed, right? As I was yeah. suggesting. Um, actually, I would love to see your version of this movie without plot holes. I would absolutely love it because here's the weird thing. If this movie didn't have so many plot holes, I'd probably say that I really enjoyed it. No, what I'm saying is I actually want to hear your version of the movie without the plot holes. Oh. Get on it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'll get right on that. <laughs> you know, it, it, I'll fit it in between other projects. I think. I think people have tuned out already. What? I think people have tuned out already. That was a joke, but okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we get to? Why don't we get to to some more um, closing type stuff? Why don't you tell me what your favorite and least favorite parts of this movie were? That's a tough one, man. I actually really enjoy the entire film. Um, obviously, my favorite parts involve Marty. Okay. I'd, I'd say he's the strongest part of the movie. Okay. Um, uh, my least favorite is probably dodgy CGI, because there was a fair amount of that where it looked really bad when all the monsters escaped and they are like as they come off the uh, elevators, it felt too rushed, and I thought it was. Uh, not unnecessary because it was really cool seeing them all, but I feel like if you're going to have that much commotion on screen, make it look good. And why does the fail-safe button in the facility release all the monsters rather than, like, say, gas and destroy them? What sort of distress situation would you be in where you need to release them all? I know. Why would the protagonists design it that way? Isha, would you stop with that already? What about you? Favorite part, least favorite part? Um, I mean, I have to agree. My favorite part is pretty much anything with Marty in it. Uh, he yeah, was too good. He was. Just, well, I mean, at the same time, I also really liked a lot of a lot of Richard Jenkins, Jenkins and Bradley Whitford's parts. 
Um, maybe even in another movie, it would have been the highlight. Like, these two clearly, like, the way that they acted it, you felt like they had a past relationship, like they were friends, they had a chemistry, right? Like, they were potentially in the job for so long, they were desensitized to what they were doing at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I think there's... it would have been a really fun short film, actually, if you just followed them for a little bit in the office setting and then the twist ending of showing exactly what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, there's even, like, the one line where it's like, uh, um, and Bradley Whitford's like, oh, remember the days where you could just sacrifice some into a volcano and that was it? And uh, uh, Richard Jenkins is like, how old do you think I am? <laughs> like, yeah. like they, they, they were really good and so was Marty. Um, honestly, I think you know what my least favorite part of it was. Try me. The rules. The rules to the situation. Okay. If you went... Been over that. Look, if you went to Kyoto... I was expecting a scene of some sort. Sure. But, I mean, technically, that's a lot of scenes that are laced throughout it. But, like, I'll go back to the Kyoto scene then for a minute. If the Kyoto scene was almost the exact same, but it was five teenagers in a classroom with a ghost, I don't think I would have any complaint with it. Because you're like, okay, it's five teens. They were put together like the other ones. Mm -hmm. They could fall into the tropes that we're looking for. And just like that, it nullifies that plot hole entirely. See, that's not a plot hole. To me, it is. That doesn't make it so, man. I'm just saying it's a simple fix for it. Maybe they didn't want to do that, right? Because it's not all... broken. You don't need to fix that. I think somebody would agree with me. I'm sure there's a few. Yeah, I just read someone's poor review earlier. You don't agree with any of that? Even though it maybe it doesn't bother you to the point that it impacts your feelings on the movie, but you don't find any of it that needs tweaks or could have been tweaked to make it a better experience? This movie is not made for you, man. It's made for horror fans. It's made for people that will like, they'll channel surf and then see a horror film and they'll just stop and watch the end of it. It's a really nice nod to a genre of film that you're not familiar with. Like, they're just having fun. You can't take comedy that seriously. I'm sure that the internet will shit on me for my views on this movie. But I still think... I still think if you're going to do something, you should want to do it the, to the best of your ability. And by nullifying what could be perceived as plot holes in simple ways is one of those things. That's all I'm saying. Cool. Well, while we're on that note, you should probably get in touch with whoever wrote the first live action Ninja Turtles movie and ask why all the turtles have different accents. Well, I mean, they're giant ninja turtles right like we don't know where the original little turtles came from maybe they were imported to that pet shop they might have been from different parts of the world so do you say turtles have accents and they're not from different parts of the world it's from different parts of new york Eh, that makes more sense i mean you're not gonna bring turtles in from around the world to a pet shop but different different suburbs sure why not okay how come uh how come marty's parents didn't recognize him when he uh, aged to the same point that he uh, met them back in the past. Look, I'm not... How did Andy Dufresne climb in that tunnel to escape Shawshank and then put that poster up perfectly that no one noticed? I hate you, man. I hate you so much. 
how did Daniel win the the karate tournament with a kick in the face, which is illegal? I don't know. I didn't see that movie. You know, I didn't see that movie. We talked about it the other day. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm just saying, you got to look at it in a vacuum. You set up a set of rules within the universe that the movie is taking place in. You don't compare it to other movies. It's within the world that it's in. No, I'm saying, though, like, you can have a movie that has plot holes that doesn't make it a bad movie, and it doesn't detract from people's enjoyment of it. Yeah, and like I said, I don't think it's necessarily one or two plot holes. It's the collection of them. Sure. Right? Like, if it was just Marty coming back, or just the Kyoto scene, or just, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, to me, it was the collection of plot holes that added up to bring it down. And, and that's why, like I said, at the very beginning of this, it's such an easy watch. It's got so many good parts. It's got so many fun parts that it doesn't make sense to me that I don't like it. And I'll go back to what I said. And I honestly believe it's because it wasn't made for somebody who watches movies the way you do. Ouch, man. Ouch. No, and that's not an insult. It's just you're too analytical when it comes to certain films that don't require that much analysis because you're going to find a lot of problems with it. It's just one of those movies that you throw on to enjoy, uh, much like Tucker and Dale versus Evil. See, and that, that movie that's a fantastic, it's hilarious. Fantastic Love it. Fantastic movie. Yeah. Plot holes, though. Like, they're throughout that movie, throughout so many horror comedies. To isolate them in this movie and say that's what ruined it for you is not only unfair to that film, but draws in the question why you like the other horror comedies so much that suffer from the same flaw. Jeez, man, I'm getting my licks this episode. Jesus Christ. I'm not saying I'm right. I could very well be wrong, but that's how I'm interpreting it. That's how I see it. Uh, this is something we should really kind of look into as a genre itself somewhere down the road the horror comedy we've talked about it a few times but we never really sat down and had a back and forth about what actually creates that genre yeah that is something we should talk about but i think for now i'm gonna wave the white flag on this one because i'm clearly not (laughs) winning so let's agree to disagree closing thoughts i love this movie i would definitely recommend it to anybody as long as you don't look into it too hard like you do kidding kidding no, I, I think this movie's a lot of fun. Uh, I think everybody can find something to enjoy in it. Will they enjoy the whole thing? Maybe, maybe not. It's got some some fun twists. Uh, it's It's got quirky writing. The acting is great. It's filmed very well. Um, yeah, a, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm definitely glad that I have this in my collection. I mean, I recommend the movie. I think anybody should watch it. It's an easy watch. It's an hour and 35 minutes. There's so yep. much to like. Fantastic casting. Amazing premise. But there are a lot of plot holes. This leads me to where I would say nobody should watch or not watch this movie on a recommendation. Anybody should watch the movie, give it a chance, and decide what side of the fence they fall on. Because the movie deserves at least that chance. Yes. Everybody should see this movie. I'm not saying everybody's going to like it. But uh, it's just it's a very fresh take on uh, a genre that's been over 
over time. Yeah, I just think it needed a little bit more refinement over those three days of writing it, I guess. Sure. All right. Well, now that I've been beaten to a bloody pulp here and... uh, Hey, I've taken licks here too, man. Barely. Barely. I'm fairly certain if there was a counter, you would be well ahead, my friend. Um, so what movie is going to destroy me next week? Uh, there's no way this movie's going to destroy you. Um, next week's film is 1985's Legend. Something really special that I've been promising to show you. Always go now. Because I'll be here for a short while. Don't you trust me? I trust you, Lily. Nothing is more magical. As long as they roam the earth, evil can never harm the pure of heart. forward to seeing it as i haven't seen it before so it'll be a first time perfect i was hoping so and i do have to say um there are different releases of this movie um try and find the uh the u.s theatrical version because with each release of the film they actually changed the soundtrack they changed the score okay and it, it, it it greatly impacts uh the film itself so if anybody listening is interested in Legend before next week's episode, why don't you drop us your questions or comments on the film? Or even if you want to drop some follow-up comments on The Cabin in the Woods, you can hit us up. We're on social media, Twitter, at BS Bargain Bin. We're also on Facebook, same handle. Or you can shoot us an email at bsbargainbin at outlook.com. <laughs> Until <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing at me. Uh, never mind. Until next week, have a good one. All the best, guys. 